Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. So I'm sitting here, I was getting ready to record this podcast episode and I was testing to make sure all the audio systems were up and running. So I did a little little test track and I was recording from my AirPods. That's what the setting was set on and not the uh, very expensive microphone I used to record with. I've got over $1,000 of audio recording equipment in here and I listened back to the AirPods one and it is so horrible. Uh, so I've decided to play it here for you just so you can appreciate how much money I have spent on having good audio because the AirPods audio is trash. My goodness. I hope you enjoy this brief sample before I knew I was recording into the wrong thing. Testing, testing, one, two, three, testing, testing, one, two, three. Okay, there it was. Hopefully you enjoyed my uh, terrible audio and uh, <laughs> as much as I did. But anyway... This week's podcast episode, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Um, I think I've talked about it some briefly, but it's basically this idea that major gift fundraisers as a whole, I find, don't allow themselves to see where they failed. Generally speaking, we see a donor not give a gift, and our tendency is to go towards, oh, well, they're just not generous they suck, whatever. And I, I see this happen all the time. I see people didn't close a gift. Um, you know, the, diff, the gift didn't come about, whatever. The donor gave way less than the gift officer asked for. And the gift officer wants to blame that donor for, <laughs> I guess, not being generous enough. And one of the reasons we do this is because it frees us from the ability to recognize uh, what we didn't do correctly. Or, you know, because it's really the only helpful way to approach these situations is to ask yourself the question, what could I do better next time? What did I learn from this? And I think people in sales roles, generally speaking, do this a lot better um, because... I, in some ways, I don't know, I think there is more of a culture around learning what we did wrong and understanding that there are things we can do that greatly increase the likelihood of a sale happening. And so I'll give you three examples. These are three of my biggest failures from uh, selling coaching arrangements. And the first one that comes to mind is this was an organization uh, that, you know, wound up working with them. This was several years ago, and it's one of the only coaching. In fact, it is the only coaching engagement that uh, I think, at least I do not think it went well. I'm not, I think the client sort of enjoyed it, but I think objectively speaking, I would consider it a failure. And I could 
list all of the reasons that the client didn't do the right things and how they weren't uh, as receptive as they should have been. They weren't as proactive as they could have been. And all that stuff might be true to some degree. But the reason it didn't go well, the real reason is because I shouldn't have taken this client in the first place. Um, At the time, I knew it was not my ideal coaching client, but I was new to the business and needed needed clients and they wanted to hire me and they wanted to pay me. And I said, yes. And I should have said, no, they were not my ideal coaching client. They did not fit the parameters of what I knew it took for one of my coaching clients to be successful. And I explained this to them and they wanted to move forward anyway, but I should have been more, uh, I should have just refused to move forward with it. Um, after, you know, working with them, I do not think it went well and I wish I would not have taken it. And so instead of me going on and saying all of the things around it being their fault, I'm able to see the thing I screwed up was taking this in the first place. And so that's, that's one example should not have, I knew that this was not going to work out well from the beginning. Um, at least just based off of the knowledge that I could have. It was not my ideal type of client. I shouldn't have said no. So that was a deal that closed. Like I, <laughs> they paid me, um, but they probably shouldn't have. And so I consider it a failure. Uh, the next one, this one, <laughs> they did not pay me. This was a really unique situation. Uh, I had a very successful client refer me to a friend of theirs who wanted help in major gifts. And this person was trying to raise an enormous amount of money. It was a gigantic amount and they did not feel confident moving forward. And so, you know, with the knowledge that they had. And so I met with them. They were very excited to work with me and I presented them a proposal and they said, no, they said that the fee was way too high. Again, I could have I could have thought of, and I did, I did think, oh, well, it's this person's fault. They, they're just not decisive enough, uh, all this kind of stuff. And I could blame it on them and I can think negative thoughts and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, there was something that I did that I think made it very unlikely for that deal to close. And I was following advice in a book about selling consulting services And basically the advice in that book is like, you want to get uh, conceptual agreement with a prospective client and then don't tell them the price until they're actually reading the proposal and they're a hundred percent on board. And then price is just the, because if you're solving a, you know, hundred million dollar problem, it doesn't really matter what the fee is in this person's perspective. And I think that's probably true for giant corporations but it doesn't apply in the nonprofit world. And so I didn't tell this person my fee until I sent them the proposal later on and it just like blew their minds and they just said it was way too much and they didn't move forward. So what I learned there was this this idea of like not sharing the price until the end of the proposal, 
Maybe that works in some corporate settings. It does not work for me. Uh, so now every time I have a meeting with a prospective, and again, this was years ago when I was getting started, but every time I have a meeting now with a prospective client, um, I just tell them, this is what the fee is. Right off the bat, if they have any questions or think it's too high, we can discuss it there, and it makes it super easy. And so the reason I share them with you is when visits don't go well, when a gift doesn't close, when a donor gives, when you ask for a $50,000 gift and they give $1,000, don't walk away going, oh, that's stupid cheapskate. I can't believe they, that's all they gave us. No, think, what did I do that I could improve upon next time? The only things you can control in the world are your thoughts and your actions. And so don't worry about somebody else's thoughts and somebody else's actions. Worry about yours and think about, you know, what could you learn from this? And you're going to have much greater success. You're going to be able to learn a lot more. You're going to be able to improve into the future and raise a lot more money. So I hope that was helpful. As always, I hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits. After all, you're just one visit away from growing your mission and your impact.